We're also blessed because we have Jake Slobodnik. Why don't you come on up here? Let's welcome him up. He's going to be sharing the word with us, and he is from Redemption Tempe. And so we're really excited to have him together. So we thought it'd be a cool chance to just have him up on stage for a minute so you guys can get to know him before he cracks open the Bible with you all, right? So Jake, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, So my name's Jake. I have been at Redemption Tempe for close to 10 years now. I showed up in college. I went to ASU. Somebody had invited me randomly to come to church. We had a seven o'clock service at the time just filled with college students. And I was like, this is my new church. Um, and I stuck around for a while. I got connected really quickly with Ricardo, one of the, our lead pastor there. And he began to disciple me. Um, at first, discipleship really just looked like, hey, why don't you come over to my house? And then we'd we'd pull his weeds for like hours. And um, (laughs) he told me it was an internship. It was a trap. Um, So I I mean, Tempe is like my spiritual growing up home and I just have never left. Uh, I met my wife uh, four years ago now, five years ago almost, um, at Redemption Gilbert and we got married a year after that and that's the best accomplishment I have. Um, Yeah, and so we're at Tempe serving. I am the student pastor there. I also work on campus at ASU doing evangelism outreach, and um, that's a bit about me. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you. And so what are a couple of ways, just to help us stay connected with the other congregations, what are a couple of ways you see God moving at Redemption Tempe that you'd think we should know about? Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest ways that I'm most excited lately is we started doing something uh, last year called Alpha. We just started opening up the doors for about like 10 weeks. That's something I lead. And we invite people who aren't Christians to come into the church, eat dinner, have conversations about the faith. That's what I'm like really stoked about, even though it is my thing. So I'm like most stoked about it. But I really love that we have people coming into our church lately who have never heard about Jesus or have been really hurt in the past and want to have open, honest, vulnerable spaces. Um, It's been really cool to see just God grow our church, both in the newest launch of women's ministry, to see like our families growing up and more kids in student ministries. So yeah, a lot to be excited about. Yeah, so I forgot to mention too, Pastor Frank, who is normally preaching with us, um, is at Tempe. So we did a little swapsies today, okay? Um, So let's join me in praying for Jake as he's um, in his ministry at Tempe and for Redemption Tempe as well. Let's do that. God, we lift up Jake and his wife and ask God that you bless their marriage. And uh, God, please bless the work of his hands at Redemption Tempe and all the things that you've called and equipped him to do there. And God, please uh, bless Redemption Tempe. Thank you, God, for this Alpha ministry. It sounds like it's a really cool way for uh, non-believers to enter into the church and to ask questions and to poke and prod and So, God, thank you for his faithfulness with that. And so, God, please continue to bless him, bless the work of his hands, and thank you that he's here and and able to join us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's invite the scripture reading up. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today's reading will be from Luke 18, verses 22 through 27. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey again, my name is Jake. Uh, Welcome. It's good to see you guys here. So Uh, Like I said, I'm one of the pastors at Redemption Tempe. I lead everything from middle school all the way through college and then have my hands in some random things at church like Alpha, um, as well as doing discipleship and evangelism on campus at ASU. But uh, a couple weeks ago, Frank asked me if he would be up for swapping, so he's preaching over at Tempe, and now I got to preach with you guys, which I'm really excited to be with you today and been praying for you all week and this morning, and so I'm just really excited to take a look at the Word together with you guys. Um, So a little bit more of my story. I grew up going to church around the church, but it really never clicked for me until probably when I got into college and someone started walking me through the scriptures and saying that the Bible is actually the story of the entire world. And I was like, wait a minute, I never heard that before. That kind of clicked with me, and so I started going and looking around at churches, diving into Bible studies, getting more excited about the Word than I ever had, and then I showed up at Redemption. And Redemption Tempe, when I showed up there, was called Praxis. There was another pastor there at the time, and Ricardo was there as a campus pastor, and we just started spending time together, like I said, pulling weeds in the backyard, um, going to Costco with him and his boys and just learning what it meant to follow Jesus. And that was so powerful and impactful for me. And I just stuck. I just never left Redemption Tempe. I graduated from college at ASU and I started working at this company uh, up in Scottsdale, a healthcare company. And then as I continued to serve at Redemption, started having conversations with Ricardo and Pastor Ryan, one of our other pastors, about what it might mean to spend some time on campus at ASU, have something for that campus, because it's a huge part of our city. And so we kind of brainstormed for a while and came up with the idea, I could quit my job, raise some money, and then get on campus at ASU, and that would be my full-time job, just talking to people about Jesus, praying for them, discipling them, and just see what God might do from there. And so This was at the exact same time that I was dating my wife, and so I quit my job, and then I told a couple weeks later her parents, hey, I don't have a job, but I do want to marry your daughter. I have to raise a lot of money, but I'm going to do it. Will you let me marry your daughter? And and, and I I mean, if I was an adult, I would have been like, come on, (laughs) but... uh, they're really gracious to me. And then at the end of it, I was like, also, you should support my ministry. So, <laughs> like, vested interest for them. Um, so I'll never forget the day, though, where I quit my job, and it was something I really loved to do, and it was growing in it, felt really confident in it. I remember grabbing my little box of stuff, walking out into the parking lot, and thinking deeply to myself, oh, my God, what did I just do? I just quit my job? I'm like gonna try to raise money. I'm gonna go try to marry this woman. I don't know what I just did. And so I was panicking. (laughs) So I spent the summer trying to raise money and then August came, I got on campus at ASU and really the only directions for me at that time were go talk to people about Jesus. And I was like, great, I'll do that. So I got there the first day on campus 
I went into the bottom of the Hayden Library, if you've never been to ASU, it's like their big library there. <clears throat> and I was like, well, I'll pray before I start trying to talk to people, strangers, about Jesus, because it's probably smart. And so I prayed, and I prayed, and then I prayed. And after a while, I realized I kept praying because I was just a little too scared to go out and actually talk to people. <laughs> and then my prayers got more panicked and freaked out because I began to think, like, what did I just do? I don't know what I'm doing for this job. I just left a good job. I'm going to try to raise money to be able to support this brand new, like, wife and be married. Like, what did you have me do, God? Is this a mistake? Did I do? <laughs> that, that just seems like this was a bad move. And I sat there, and it was one of the only times that I really feel like God actually audibly spoke to me in the moment. One of the only times. That's never ever happened to me. And I sat there praying, and I was like, what do I do? And I just felt like God put on my heart, get up and go, I'll show you who to talk to. So I left the library. I began to just start talking to people. And it was a rough first day. I mean, some of the people were really nice. They're like, yeah, sure, I'll talk to you about God. And then some people are like, talk to you about God? Get lost and then put in whatever superlative bad word you want to use and then walk away. And I was like, okay, well, this is my new job. <laughs> Here, <laughs> Here's what I learned from being able to do that. I have never felt more dependent on God in that moment, in that season of life. I was praying more than I'd ever prayed in my life because it felt so desperate. Every single morning I got up, I was like, I'm going to have a meltdown if I don't pray and spend some time really asking God to show up and move in my life. God moved. He began to build the ministry. It began to grow. Other people got involved. People came to know the Lord. Really encouraging. So I've been doing that for four years now. And here's... Here's the thing I realized, especially when I was looking through this text we're going to go through today. I do not nearly spend as much time now praying, and my prayers are far less desperate because I've gotten better at my job, and I've gotten more confident at my job. And as time goes on, God will, in a lot of ways, in a lot of different ways, give, bless us with either success, with fame, with money, with relationships. And we're going to talk about wealth today. When I say wealth and talk about wealth, I am talking of all different types of wealth. Because it's easy to just tune out when you hear stuff about the Bible about wealth and be like, well, I'm not wealthy. There's somebody more has more than I do. Wealth of anything at all, whether it be the relationship that you have, whether it be the social status you have, the job you have, the education that you have, what I began to learn, especially thinking about this last couple of weeks, is seeing redemption grow and seeing God bless us in crazy ways. Seeing God bless Arcadia in amazing ways. I've heard stories from Frank. I've heard stories from all of the other pastors here of what God is continuing to do here and in other congregations. God is blessing us like crazy. Here's the danger. When God blesses us and we become wealthy in a lot of different ways, we have a tendency to rely on him less. So I, I want to read from Deuteronomy as, this is not going to be the text we're going through, but I just want you to hear this warning, and then I want us to pray to start off our time together. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can either read it off the board or you can just listen. Beginning in verse 11, it says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground when there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Hear this. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Today we're going to look at a story out of the Gospel of Luke, and I just grabbed it because me and Frank were talking. I was like, hey, what, what do you want me to preach on? And he just said like, hey, you know, we haven't gone through anything in any of the Gospels in a little bit. That'd be cool. And, you know, just honestly, some of the idols that we see within our culture, especially at Arcadia here, would be either uh, trust in our own wealth, trust in our education, um, trust in things that we can get and obtain. And I was like, well, that's great. Tempe, we don't have those idols at all. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that is our culture everything in our culture communicates to us that ultimately your happiness your fulfillment your rest your value can be put in what you can obtain for some of us it's going to be wealth of money sure some of us it's going to be a wealth of experiences how much can i live in my life how many adventures can i have how cool can my instagram feed look some of us it's going to be a wealth of relationships and the social connections that we have some of us it's going to be wealth of education and the ways that we put our trust in all of these things are good blessings from god every single one of them they're not something that i am saying that we need to throw away or get rid of but they always have the tendency for us to no longer depend on god but to put the trust in those things and so we are going to jump into the book of Luke in chapter 18. That's going to be our story for today. So why don't you guys open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, and we're just going to start off right in verse 18. My hope and prayer is that this would be a warning to us, this would be an encouragement to us, and this would be something that would humble us and lead us to Jesus. And so as I kick off this story in Luke Here's the only point I'm going to have for the day. This is the one thing that I want you guys to hear as I preach. That the way of the kingdom of God is faithful dependence on Jesus. That's it. Now we can go. The way of the kingdom of God is a faithful dependence on Jesus and on nothing else at all. So, let's pick it up. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. So here's the scene of what's going on in this story. Luke has painted the picture of Jesus' ministry where he is walking through and speaking to people. And in this moment, right before this story, he has a group of kids who are trying to come to him. The disciples get this annoying, like, hey, like, get these kids away. They're trying to distract Jesus. And Jesus rebukes them and says, bring them to me. This is who the kingdom belongs to. In fact, you cannot receive the kingdom unless you receive it like a child. And in this crowd, there's this rich ruler. 
who we're going to find out has a lot of wealth, but all we know right now is that he is a ruler. So somebody who has status, somebody who has wealth, and he's watching Jesus, he is thinking about this idea of the kingdom, and he asks him, okay, if the kid is how you have to receive it, how could somebody like me receive it? How could the rich ruler receive it? How could someone who has a lot receive it? He is socially on top. He's morally outstanding. We're going to find out that he says, I have done all these things. He has it all. And not in the negative sense of like, like God has blessed him totally in a lot of these things. And what we're going to find in Jesus is that Jesus invites him to have a greater and deeper treasure. So Jesus responds to him, and his response it kind of begins to echo Deuteronomy. In the end of Deuteronomy, this passage where Moses is preaching to God's people, he says to them, hey, God's word is not as high as in the heavens where you gotta go get it. It's not across the sea where you can say to each other, how are we gonna hear this? But it is near to you and close to you in your heart. And so this guy comes to Jesus, he throws out kind of like this flattery term, like, hey, good teacher. And Jesus responds to him in a kind of a disarming way, like, Nobody's good except God alone. He points him immediately to God, which is always what Jesus' ministry was doing. And then he begins to recount to him the Ten Commandments, but only a second half of them. It's as if he's saying, like, hey, like you, this is not, this is not a new thing. What God has said and declared that would give life is love God, love your neighbor. Interestingly enough, Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments, but only the second half that have to do with all of the neighbor parts of the word. And so he tells him, like, this is exactly what you do. And his response is, all these I have kept from my youth. Can you imagine the rich young ruler? Can you imagine him asking Jesus this and seeing kind of like the perplexity of like, there's these kids and, I mean, okay, how do I receive the kingdom? And Jesus goes, you know what it is. You do, you love God, you love your neighbor. And then maybe in frustration, we don't know, but I imagine you don't ask questions really unless you don't really have the answer, right? He has come to a place in this moment where he goes, okay, I've, I, I've done that. And, 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 and what? Is that, is that enough? He's asking because there is this temptation for us all to believe, when I get, when I obtain these things, then I will have rest. Then I'll have something to put my value in. And yet here you see this rich ruler, and he doesn't have it. He's still asking Jesus. He's still perplexed. He's still wondering, okay, what else then do I have to do to get this eternal life? And Jesus looks at him in love, It says in in another one of these parables in Mark, he looks at him in love. Like you can see it on Jesus' face as he's looking at this young ruler. And he tells him this. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Jesus offers the freedom of dependence. He looks at this rich ruler and he doesn't say, you haven't really done those things, liar. You haven't fulfilled the law. Your heart's not in the right place. He just looks at him in love and he says, okay, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why? Why? Why Why is that his challenge to this man in this moment? It can't really be just another thing for him to do 
Because we're going to see later that Jesus says that all of these things, like doing anything where you are relying on your own will, your own strength, does not get you into the kingdom. So it can't just be another like, task for him to do. Be like, great, you fulfilled 90% of what you need to get into the kingdom. Now, one additional thing you need to do is sell everything and check you will be holy enough to get into the kingdom. That is anti-gospel. That is not how it works. In this moment, he is asking and inviting this rich ruler to step into a dependency on Jesus that will risk him losing everything. And we know this because interestingly enough, two stories later, Zacchaeus, a very rich man, comes to Jesus and he tells him, I have sold half of what I own and I will give to the poor. Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, you need to sell everything. Sell the other 50% if you want to get into the kingdom. Right? No, he celebrates it, in fact. He celebrates his heart of generosity. But what is it about this ruler that Jesus looks at and says, all right, give up everything? Because this rich ruler has a way of dependence on himself. If you're rich, especially at that time, it was viewed within that culture that not only were you blessed by God in a lot of ways, but you were probably a very righteous person. Like it, the thought was, if you were rich, you worked for it and did enough to get it, and that was a righteous thing. And if you were poor, likely you were lazy, which ironically is very similar to how we think about the poor today very much how we think about wealth and riches, whatever those things are. And so he looks at this man and he tells him, okay, you lack one thing, give it all away. He invites him into a dependence on Jesus, a dependence, a reliance, a desperation that will force him to give away the ground that he's standing on. And that is absolutely terrifying for all of us. Because every single one of us, I don't even have to ask, I could just say, every single one of us has one of those things or many of those things that we stand our feet on and we know, okay, this is how I know I have value because of these things I've done, because of this that I own, because of these relationships I have. It, it, it is the ground we sometimes build our lives on. And Jesus is telling this young man, give it away and follow me and I will give you something better. It reminds, it reminds us of the story that Jesus told of the kingdom of God is like a pearl. So just imagine somebody who is washing through all the clams and they're a pearl salesman and as they're going, they run into this clam, they open it up and it is the biggest, most beautiful pearl they have ever seen. And imagine they're at a market, right? And it's like on the bucket, it's like $50 for these clams. And he panics in excitement, runs home, sells everything he has, runs back to the market and goes, okay, do you still have that bucket of clams? Yeah, sure, it's 50 bucks. Pays everything he has to get that bucket because in it he knows that there is a greater treasure. Jesus is not calling this man to asceticism. He is calling him to give up everything for a far greater treasure. A dependency on Jesus. A reliance that will absolutely change this man. And Here's the other part that he is inviting him into. He is inviting him into a new community. Jesus did not just die for our sins. He did that and so much more. And one of the things he did is he is the firstborn of a new community of people. Amen? He is the first one of a new humanity, which is the church. And what he is inviting him into is the people of God. And what marks the people of God is a radical generosity where the people of God welcome in the poor as their own kin. 
where they look at those who have less and they say to them, you are mine, you are my family, I will care for you, I will treat you. You see this within the early church, so you see it in the chapter two of Acts. They are selling everything they have to make sure that everyone is taken care of. And so Jesus is inviting him into this new picture of humanity, of what it might look like if the people of God, despite what the rest of the world does with wealth, using it as a way to crawl on top or even to push down, Wealth becomes a resource in the kingdom of God to lift up the low. Why is the kingdom of God like this? Why is there an emphasis on the poor? Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is always an upside-down kingdom. It always flips everything on its head of what our culture assumes. You see that throughout all the Gospels, Jesus says, if you want to be the first, become the last. If you want to follow me and gain your life, you got to lose it. And so here, what he's doing, instead of taking the cultural assumptions of how riches can be earned and as a way to put our own value and trust in, he takes the rich and he puts them on the bottom and he puts the poor on top. Why? Because if it is in the way of our world where the top are the rich, then the only thing you can hope for is that the poor can struggle and fight through the nail to get in, but they really can't get in. Whereas if it is the rich on the bottom, poor on top, then the rich can come in too. They just got to humble themselves. And that's beautiful because it's exactly what Jesus did in himself. So he looks at him in love. He invites them into something far deeper, into something he can rely on, trust in, in power. And then we hear the sad part of the story. It said, when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus saying that he had become sad said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There is, there's like a funny history behind this parable and the church trying to illustrate it and understand it over the years. And I think that the ways we have done it incorrectly uh, it illustrates what we think about wealth and our tendency to try to avoid this parable. I grew up at a church that said something along the lines of, see, back in the ancient day, there was this gateway and uh, camels could go through it, but you had to have them kneel down and to get through. So the rich can enter the kingdom of God, but they have to humble themselves. But then you do further research and find out that there's no such thing actually existed in Jerusalem <laughs> or in anywhere in that time. And what it illustrates is that the impossibility of this parable makes us uncomfortable, and the impossibility of this parable is something we'd rather just go around and find a way around, but it's exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, imagine a camel, the biggest animal you can think of at that time right there. Now imagine a little needle and the little pin where you put the thread thingy through. I'm not a sewer, so like, you know. Imagine those two things, says Jesus. Put the camel and bring it through the needle hole. And then you, you imagine the crowd sitting there like silently and somebody's in the back, you can't do that! And Jesus is like, yeah, that's the point. You can't do that. Imagine a jumbo jet and then I want you to fly it through the little holder on a coffee mug. You, you, you can't do that. Okay, great. I want you guys to think of a great big blue whale through the ocean and now try to swim it through one of those like soda pop ring things that animals get stuck in. You can't do that. Yeah, that's the point. For any who have wealth, which is all of us, 
wealth and riches shrink down the gateway of the kingdom of God to a people. If the gateway, if the way of the kingdom, the way into the kingdom is a faithful dependence and reliance and trust on Jesus, then self-dependence and our wealth is a barricade. Because here's why. Wealth and riches, like we heard in Deuteronomy, they have a way of deceiving us to think, I have done this by my own hands. And the way of the kingdom, the way into the kingdom, is we only enter by telling to God and to Jesus, I cannot do this, I can't get in, I need your help. And so wealth becomes a barricade. And so this man, hearing what Jesus says, drops his head in sadness, walks away. And imagine it broke Jesus' heart too. Because here's this man relying on everything that he's built his life on, his ground on. He knows it's not enough, and yet he can't give it away. Why? Because you can't give away the ground that you stand on. You can't pull the rug out from under yourself. Have you guys ever seen like those tricks where people like, Take the nap, napkin, the, what's the thing that goes on the tables? Tablecloth, thank you. Take a tablecloth with everything on top of it and they pull it and then everything still stays there. It's a pretty cool trick. Try doing it where you're standing on the rug. Two things happen. You do it or you fall. You can't pull the ground out from under yourself. If you put your reliance in something else besides Jesus, then of course, if you are the rich man, whatever riches that you have, to be generous, to give it away, to step into God's community people where you don't hold on to it and you can give it away, you can't do it because you're building your life on it and to give it away is terrifying. And so Jesus tells this parable and beautifully someone calls out in the crowd, whether it's disciples or somebody else there, he, they say, those who've heard it, then who can be saved? If this guy who's got it all together morally and has done everything correctly, and he is rich because he is assumed a righteous man, if he is the quote-unquote good guy, if he can't get in, then who can? And then Jesus answers, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus wants to pull the rug out from under. Why? Because our own self-reliance and riches, it's like a broken reed and using it as a cane. If you put your weight on it, eventually it's going to snap and pierce your arm. Instead, Jesus wants us to lean on him in such a dependent way that even if it means giving up our wealth, whatever that wealth is for the sake of one another, for the sake of this community, for the sake of this people, we are able to do it because we know we're leaning on Jesus. We're not leaning on any of those other things. And then we as the people of God can have the freedom to give away those things. And here's the beauty of that new community is it is attractive. When the people of God are generous, with their time, with their money, with their relationships, with anything they have, when they are generous in such a way where they give without expecting to receive back, and when they give in such a way that actually might put themselves at a disservice, it is really attractive to the rest of the world. One of the first students that I spent time with on campus at ASU wasn't a Christian. We spent probably six to eight months together talking through the gospel, talking through Jesus and what it meant, and he was like, those are great stories, but no thanks. And then we'd have more conversations. And as long as I bought him more lunch, he would still keep hanging out, which is most of my, most of my job, just buying lots of lunch and coffee for students. And then they let me talk about Jesus. <laughs> and so, but after a while, 
he had this eye-opening moment that the Spirit gave. He became a Christian, and we got a chance to baptize him, and it was amazing. Here was the craziest moment of it. We, after baptizing him, I had this moment I just felt like I should have told him something because I had a group of 30 or so people who had been praying like crazy for him who also supported me on campus. So these people gave of their money so that I might be on campus with him all day as my job. And students ask that all the time, like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and I tell him like, hey, there's actually, believe it or not, a people who want you to hear about Jesus so much they cut out part of their salary so that I can be with you all day. So I told him this. I was like, hey, I, I just want you to know there's people, about 30 or so, who have been praying for you the past six months, even though you don't know them. And they've been giving and cutting out part of their salary so I can hang out with you for hours of the day. And he began to weep. He began to weep. Because here's what a lot of people know intrinsically, especially when you're in that stage of college students, right? He's never going to meet those people. He's never going to give anything back to them. He's never going to benefit them in any single way. And students, when I tell them about this, they intrinsically, they know that. And then it's always confusing or it brings people to tears or it just doesn't make sense. That is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He is flipping everything on its head so that the people of God might be so generous that the world watching from outside in goes, that doesn't make sense at all. And that's a good news icon, a thing that people might see the generosity of God's people when they're willing to give up of their relationships. I mean, the amount of times that I have tried to tell my friends who don't believe in Jesus just what my life is like, just with friendships, the way people of God invite me and my wife into their home and care for us, it is attractive. It is very attractive because there's nothing in the world like that, right? Our culture in every single avenue says, get what you can and hold on to it desperately, and don't let it go, because if you do, you go down on the wrong ladder. But the people of God can live in such a way when they rely on Jesus, where they say, I can give away all that I need to because I'm leaning on Jesus. I'm not leaning on those things. And when the people of God do that, it is a beautiful taste of the kingdom. And yet, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Because as beautiful as that sounds, if we go back on, okay, if we walk out today and be like, all right, how do I give generously? Who can I give to? And okay, how can I do that so we can, we will never get it. Jesus just said it. It's impossible. It's like a camel going through the eye of the needle. It is like a jumbo jet and flying it through the ring of a doghouse. It doesn't happen. It's impossible. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen? We, this should bring us to a moment of humility and a moment where we go, Holy Spirit, we need you. Because here's what I notice and what I feel as God blesses our church, he blesses our lives and things that we go on. We get more confident because we know God is gonna take care of us. Sometimes the sinfulness in my own heart will think, yeah, I can do this. I cannot do this. We cannot do this. Only God can do this. The rich man walked away he could not enter into the kingdom and it was a brokenhearted moment. And what Jesus says is only with God. How? Because there is no treasure in heaven if Jesus did not pay for us. There is no way of giving up our riches, whatever those riches might be on this earth, if we do not have something greater in Jesus. 
There is no freedom of relying upon Jesus unless we know that he will catch us, he will carry us, he will walk us into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a big gate, and we assume that if I run fast enough, I might get through it. And if it's high enough, then if I climb hard enough, I might get to the top of the mountain and get into the kingdom of God. But here is what the Bible tells us. We are dead in our sins. It doesn't matter how big the gate of the kingdom of God is. We're laying at the floor dead. There is no getting up and walking ourselves in. It is impossible with man. It's possible with God. Because in Jesus, in his blood, he picks us up and he carries us through the gateway of heaven. In Jesus, as the firstborn of the new humanity, he doesn't just give us advice for how to make a better kingdom. Instead, he founds the new kingdom of his blood. Instead, he brings a new people together because he goes before us. And that is what we can take our rest in. So please, I hope you hear that this is not something that we have to do. It is impossible with man, but it is possible with God. And so the disciples ask him at the very end, like, okay, we have left everything. And Jesus lovingly responds to them and says, truly I say to you, there is no one that is left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times in the age to come eternal life. Go ahead and close your guys' Bibles. We're going to close our time. Here's the one thing I just want us to do and how to respond to the word. I want you for the rest of today in their time of silence and response, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit because I cannot give you something to respond to. The Holy Spirit must How might we lean on Jesus more? And what are the things that we're leaning on to that are like broken reeds that will pierce our hands if we lean on them? I want you to, today, as you're thinking through whatever type of generosity God might be calling you to, what are the things that you lean on to, those riches, those wealth, because we all have it, and how might you, in better ways, lean on Christ so he might carry us through into the kingdom of heaven, and by his grace, we become a new community. Let's pray, and then invite us all to bow our heads and invite the band to come forward as we continue our time of worship. And so I'm going to pray for us. God, I thank you for your kingdom and the way that it turns everything upside down on its head. Because then us, Lord, who are rich, must become low. Because you, Jesus, lowered yourself out of the kingdom of heaven to come and rescue us. Holy Spirit, now I just pray. I pray that you would speak to all of us as the people of God. It doesn't matter what I say, Lord. There's no convincing words. We need your spirit to make us into that new people. We need your spirit to become that new generous people of God. And so we wait on you and we ask you to speak. And I trust that you will speak to us in this morning. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we trust and pray. Amen.